Happy Easter Victory Church. What's going on? Yo, I just I, we had to do this in our first service. I got to do it again. This is the first Easter in our brand new building. Come on. Let's give God praise. Man, and not only that, we launched today two services. We had a phenomenal 9 o'clock service. Place was packed out, had people in overflow. And now we're going to have a great 11 o'clock service. Am I right? Victory Church. Yo. If you are visiting, my name is Troy. My wife, Darla, and I get the absolute privilege to pastor this church, and we'd love for you to do us a favor, and uh, at some point, as Zenobia said, fill out one of those connection cards just so we can reach out to you. Thank you so much for visiting with us. We know that you could be anywhere uh, this Sunday morning celebrating Easter, and we love that you spent it with us, and we'd love to do our best to get you connected through serving opportunities or small groups, whatever it might be. Uh, again, we just want to say welcome to the family. You ready for the word? Yeah. All right, if you've got your Bibles or your phone, Whatever it might be, turn to Luke chapter 15. That's where we're going to be at. Again, uh, if you don't have either, it'll be on the screen behind me. And for the past few weeks, ever since we moved into this location, we have been kind of taking the parable of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15 and breaking it apart in a series we're doing called Welcome Home. And, and today is the climax of that series. We're bringing the big finale as it leads up to Easter. And I, it's really exciting to see. I'll show you how the parable, I've actually never looked at it before this way, but the way that the parable of the prodigal son lines up with the Easter resurrection story. And so I'm going to read about 13 verses because I need to get, allow you to have the full context of the parable that Jesus tells, uh, and then we'll dive in from there. So Luke chapter 15, starting at verse 11, and understand that what Jesus is doing, he's t- telling a parable, which is a story to get his point across. So he's using a story to illustrate his point. In the room are both religious people, the Pharisees, and sinners and tax collectors and people who are not following Jesus. And so here we go. Jesus starts with, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. He wants it early, which basically means, you know, I wish you were dead. And so the father divided his property between them, the older son, the younger son. And not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had and he set off for a distant country. And there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, he was broke. There was a severe famine, which meant no food, no provision in the whole country. And he began to be in need. So he, the younger son, went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs, which was against his culture to even be around pigs. And he longed to fill his stomach with the paws that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have jobs where they have food and they have food to spare? And here I am, I'm starving to death. So I'm going to set out, I'm going to go back home to my father, and I'm going to say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven, and I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, so make me like one of your hired servants. Give me a job. So he got up, and he went home to his father. Here's where it gets really good. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him, and he ran to his son. That'll be important later. He threw his arms around him and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father interrupts him and says, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, put sandals on his feet, bring the fattened calf and let's kill it. And let's have a feast and let's celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and now he's alive. The son was lost, and now he's found. Let's celebrate. This morning, just for a few moments, I want to talk to you from the idea, why the celebration? Why why are we here today? Why are we gathered? Why are we partying? What are we celebrating? 
Uh, I'm, a, I'm a Patrick Mahomes, Kansas City Chief fans. We got any Chief Patrick Mahomes fans in here? All right, we got three. Uh, we had zero in the first service, so it was really awkward for me. Uh, I just stood here, you know, hat in hand, whatever. It, just, it is what it was. Um, but one time we were watching last year, we were watching, there was a game between them and the Buffalo Bills. It was a playoff game. It was real serious. It was going back and forth. And I had about six or seven friends over, and they were all fans of other AFC teams. So all of them wanted the Bills to beat the Chiefs. And so I got my, my home's jersey on. We're in my living room watching the game. And it had come down to this field goal. And if, if Kansas City makes the field goal, I think it goes into overtime. If they miss it, they lose. And so I'm nervous. I'm standing on the chair. I got my hands on the chair watching the game. I'm nervous. All these center friends of mine are right here just waiting to see me lose. And, and my mom was watching the game in Memphis, and she knows I'm a Patrick Mahomes fan. So right when we're getting ready, the field goal hadn't been kicked yet. The phone rings, and I pick up the phone, and I go, hello? And she goes, did you see that? And I was like, no, I don't know what happened. Like, like you're, you're ahead of me. I don't know what happened. So she goes, all right, I'll call you later. Bye. She hangs up the phone. Now, here's what I know is that based off her celebration, that's a good thing because she, she knows I'm a Mahomes fan, so she wouldn't have called me and said, did you see that if, if they would have lost? So now all of a sudden, I'm excited, right? Because I know that they make the field goal, but none of these sinners know, right? They, they, they're just sitting there. They have no idea what's happening. And so I was just super excited, and that was why they did like, what's, why are you celebrating? Why are you happy? I'm excited because what you don't know is that we're going to make this field goal. So I know what you don't know. And that's what's so important about today is we know something that a lot of people don't know. We know something that our anxiety doesn't know. We know something that our depression doesn't know. We know something that hopelessness doesn't know. And that is that Jesus Christ is a resurrected king, right? He came out of the grave. And so we have hope. But it's important for us to understand why that's important. See, listen to me. According to two statistics, um, today, this Sunday, this weekend, 60% of Americans will gather in a church somewhere to celebrate Easter. Some here, some all across America, you'll have about 60% of people gathering in some church, maybe a Saturday night service, maybe a Sunday morning service, maybe a 9, maybe an 11, maybe a, I know um, I have a friend who has a 6 a.m. service today, or did, so thank God we don't have that yet. Uh, but I'm just letting you know. And so people are just gathering to celebrate, which means that in one day, the attendance of, of church will grow by 230 percent. Is that crazy? In one day, 230 percent. So Easter is by far the highest attended or will be high, the highest attended Sunday service of the year. But my question is, do we know why? Like we're here, but do we know why we're here? We're celebrating. Do we know why we're celebrating? We're screaming, it might get loud, but no, all right, just me. <laughs> uh, but do we know why? We're screaming it might get loud. Since the early 19th century, people have been trying to make Easter about something other than Jesus Christ. Been trying to make Easter more about pastels than power, right? It's been this journey to try to make it more about a seasonal holiday than to make it about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if we're not careful, we will find ourselves focusing more on eggs than an event. And so I want us to understand something that we're here today because an ethical or, or, or a, how do I say this? Yeah, a simple ethical message about hope 
and about love is not what's going to turn, or is not what did turn lives upside down. This message, just, just an ethical message, just a, a hopeful message, just a, hey, that a boy, you'll be okay, or it'll get better. That ethical message is not what turned people's lives upside down, much less the entire Roman world. We're not here celebrating just because we're hopeful. We're not here celebrating because we need a good encouragement and an attaboy. We're celebrating because of what it took to turn life upside down and what it took to change the Roman world. And that is a resurrection. And so we're talking about the resurrection. And with that, we're going to talk about this. What's the purpose of the party? Why are we here? Why are we celebrating? What's the purpose of the party? So first, let's go back to Luke 15 for a moment. And I want you to see something. In Luke 15, this party's happening. And the brother comes home from, the older brother comes home from work. The Bible says that he hears singing and he hears dancing. He hears commotion and noise. People, I've used this word before and I will see how, how many deaf ears it falls on. He hears people getting crunk. We got a few, we got a few, you know, real people in here understand what that meant. I don't know how long ago that was. I am 37 going on 38. So that just kind of gives my age. But he hears this happening and he goes to the father and he goes to the servants and watch this. He's not mad about a party. He, he's not upset that people are partying. This is common culture for He's not even surprised that they're partying. Matter of fact, that's why they were fattening the calf to begin with, so that they could have a celebration. So the older son is not surprised or upset by the fact that there is a party. Listen to me. He just wants to know, what are we celebrating? Why are we celebrating? Like we're here and we're partying, but why are we throwing a party? And then the father ends up coming back and saying, hey, listen to me. We had to celebrate. Well, why did we have to celebrate? We had to celebrate because your brother was once lost and he's now found. He, he was once dead and he's now alive. So it was important for the brother to know why we were partying and the father made sure to explain to him, this is why. Today matters. Easter matters. We're gathering today to celebrate and to shout and to throw a party because the foundation of our faith is not a religious experience. The foundation of our faith is not even a book. The foundation of our faith, of the Christian faith, is an event, and it's an extraordinary event that has profound implications. And just agreeing with the event, or even just accepting that it happened, is not what gives our life hope. We have to be able to understand what it means. It is an event, yes, but it's an event with profound implications. And the secret for you and the secret for me and the reason we would shout and the reason we would get loud is because we understand what that event means to us. Let me help you. Without an Easter, there's no resurrection. Without a resurrection then Jesus does not come back to life. And if Jesus doesn't come back to life, then Jesus is a liar. Jesus is just a rabbi that's gone off the rails. Jesus is not, he's not Lord, he's, he's a lunatic. And watch this, if everything Jesus said is not true, then nothing that Jesus said matters. But the fact that he resurrected from the grave, right? right? The fact that if Jesus doesn't come out of the grave, 
And I think this is what we have to understand. If Christ does not come out of the grave, then you and I are left to our own good graces. If Jesus doesn't come out of the grave, then this concept of reconciliation with God is based on our performance and our perfection. And I think we would both agree that that's impossible. But Jesus did come out of the grave, right? He did resurrect. And when he did, impossible went out the window with it. It opened up the possibility of a new identity. We got to trade. Now, it's not about how we see ourselves, but how God sees us. We got to trade our imperfections for his perfections. We got to trade our sin for his righteousness. Because he came out of the grave, everything else he said can be trusted. Jesus doesn't resurrect then all of the grace and all of the mercy and all the second chances and this whole concept that it's not about my perfection but about his perfection and it's not about what I did but what he did, if he doesn't come out of the grave, that's all a wash. But the fact that he did, the fact that he died and rose again means that everything he said was true. It means that he wasn't a liar. He is Lord. It means above all of that that the message of Easter is the great reversal. Now, let me explain that a little bit. I got to tell you a story before I can explain it for it to make sense. Uh, about a year ago or so, it came time. I can't remember what holiday it was, but I had to get Darla a present, or I wanted to get Darla a present. <laughs> got to be careful. <laughs> Marriage counseling 101 there for a second. And so I wanted to be creative. I'm normally not the best creative person with presents. And so I found this thing online. Uh, where you can get a poster. It's like a cloth poster. And the way it looks is it looks like when you're looking at Spotify or Apple Music on your phone, it's got like the picture of the photo album, then it has the name of the song, right? So when I got it made, it was a picture of us on the beach, and then the, the song title was a song. It's one of our romantic songs that we have together, okay? So I got it. It was made in a poster. I was so excited. Whatever that birthday or holiday came along, and I gave it to her, and I was like, ta-da, like, aren't I the best husband ever? Like, aren't you just glad you married me? And, and she put on a show. And so a little bit of time goes by. And one day I'm, I'm in our room and I'm walking by her side of the bed and I walk around and in the corner, corner crumpled up and like stuffed in the corner is this priceless poster that I bought her, you know? And, and I wasn't mad. Like our marriage is okay. All right. Don't get worried and be like, we got to counsel the pastor. Like, no, we're okay. But, but I just took note of it. You know, I saw it. I recognized it. And so I said, okay, this is where we're at. This is how you feel about our relationship. You know, it's crumbled up in the corner. So I just took note of it. No big deal. Just saw it. So a few weeks go by, and I come home from the gym one day, and she's like, she's excited. She's like, come here, you got to see something. And so we go into the room, and we walk into the doorway, and she goes, look. And I look, and she has hung the poster on the wall. The poster that I saw crumbled up in the corner is now hung up on the wall. Now, in that moment, she's expecting a response from me, right? And I don't, know, I, I, I don't know quite how to explain this, but the responses that came to my head were not the responses that I wanted to move forward with, right? So, so let, me, let me tell you my, my thought. I had two thoughts. Here was my first thought. Well, it's about time that you hung the poster up, right? Like it was on the corner or in the corner crumpled up. And it let me see how much you care about our marriage. And maybe you don't value the last 15 years of glorious, you know, heaven that you've had being married. You know, that's just how it went. You know, we get it. I, I don't believe that. And so that, that was the first. But I couldn't, I couldn't say that. 
I couldn't, I couldn't say that to her. I couldn't say it's about time because happy wife, happy life, you know, that whole concept. But, but my second thought was not any better. And I wasn't sure which one, because here was my second thought. It's crooked. <laughs> like, that's bad. You know what I mean? Like, the first one's bad enough, but the second one's not any better. And so I'm trying to figure out. And, and, and this was like milliseconds from, from the moment she said, look at this, to the moment I responded. It was just milliseconds. But it felt like about three years in my mind. You know what I mean? Like it felt like a long time trying to get out. So I'm processing it. And I'm telling y'all, I don't know what got into me, but this is just kind of what naturally happened. Like something just naturally happened to me. And here's what I did. I put my hands on my hips. Like I, I've never done this before. All right. So don't judge me. But, but it was just a natural response. I put my hands on my hips like this. And I went, well, would you look at that? <laughs> Who responds that way? Like, never in my 37 years of life have I ever done this, or have I ever said, would you look at that? But, but I just, I knew I didn't want to say this, and I had seconds to respond before she got mad, and so I'm balancing, I'm like, I don't say this, what do I say? I don't know. I think that's how I ended up, because I was going, do I say this, do I say that? And I think it kind of went, like, morphed into, well, would you look at that? Like, I think that's how that happened. And she was so shocked by it that she immediately just busted out laughing. Like she didn't know what else to do because it was so odd and random. And now I'm laughing and she's laughing. And once we get through all of our giggling, she goes, what in the world made you say that? And I was like, sweetheart, listen, for you to understand what I just did, <laughs> motions and all, for you to be able to grasp that, you would have to understand what my other option was, right? You would have to understand what I was thinking, what, what the alternative was for me to get to this point. And this is how I've been thinking all week in preparation for Easter Sunday. I've been thinking about the fact that not one of Jesus' disciples expected a resurrection. Not, not one of them. It's proven in the fact that when they go to Christ's tomb and it's empty, their first thought is that somebody has moved this rock and kidnapped his dead body. Like, like, nobody immediately went, maybe he did what he said he was going to do. Nobody assumed that. They assumed that he had been, his body had been stolen. Could you imagine waking up one morning expecting to go to a funeral, and by the end of the day, you're celebrating a resurrection? Could you imagine that shift? And so as I'm processing that, and as I'm processing this story with Darla and this poster, here's where I arrived at. Sometimes to fully understand someone's actions, you have to first consider their alternative. In, in order for you to really understand why somebody is doing or acting or responding the way that they are, it's important that you gather the information of what their alternative was. Here's what I mean. The disciples are excited beyond understanding to the point that they would give their entire life and eventually die for the gospel. They're excited because of the alternative. The, the alternative is that Jesus is dead. The alternative is that all hope is lost. And so because of the alternative, because he isn't dead, and because that everything he said is true, and because their hope is alive, it starts to influence their response. And it made me think about everybody in the Bible who responded a certain way because of Jesus because they didn't have to experience the alternative. Let me give you some examples. It made me think about the woman with the issue of blood. 
The Bible says that this woman for 12 years has this eternal, internal bleeding issue and that she's gone to every doctor and she's spent every dime she has and she has had zero relief. And Jesus comes in and heals her. And the Bible says that she falls down at the feet of Jesus and you can define her actions based off of her, off of her alternative because without Jesus, it's another 12 years of bleeding. It's another 12 years of pain. It's another 12 years of, of discomfort. It's another 12 years of being let down. Then it made me think about the man at the pool of Bethesda. And for 38 years, this man laid there lame. And when Jesus walked up and said, do you want to be made well? The man said, yes, but every time that I get even close to the water, somebody else beats me there. And he jumps for joy and he gets excited because of the alternative. Because if it wasn't for Jesus, it's another 38 years. Honestly, it's probably death. Sitting there at a pool, not being able to walk, watching people beat you and getting what you believe is your healing. Made me think about everybody who had leprosy in the Bible. Made me think about the woman at the well. And it made me think about all these individuals who had an encounter with Jesus and their actions after encountering Jesus, you could only fully understand if you considered what their alternative would have been had they not met Jesus. And that's what the story of Easter and the gospel is, is the alternative of what you and I would have experienced had we not met Jesus. It made me think about us and what our alternative would have been had we not met Jesus. If it's not for Christ, our alternative is learning or is, is walking in a faith that's operated by works. It's you and I trying to perform to be good. If it wasn't for Jesus, somebody say, if it wasn't for Jesus. If it wasn't for Jesus, then I get the alternative. If it's not for Jesus, then I am trying to reconcile with God by my performance and by my perfection. And as I said, we understand that that is impossible. Sometimes you'll never understand somebody's actions until you can actually understand the alternative. And the purpose for the party in Luke 15, to understand the Father's actions, the Father wanted you to understand the alternative. And he says, we're partying because my son was lost, but he's now found. He was dead, but he's now alive. You see what he's doing there? He's saying, if you'll consider the alternative, you'll understand these actions. If you consider what it could have been, you'll celebrate it for what it is. And this is our story, that if we'll ever stop and really consider what the alternative is outside of the resurrection of Christ, then it starts to shape our actions. The reason why we're shouting is because he's alive. The reason why we're shouting is because grace and mercy are real. And because despite my actions, it's his works. And it's not about what I do, but what he did. And it's not about who I am, but who he is. That's the alternative. And so I praise Jesus for it. I was thinking about that, that, that there's some people in here who, if you knew, you, you'll never quite be able to understand their tears until you know their trials. You know what I mean? Somebody in here who you won't be able to understand their praise until you can understand their past. There are people serving every week that you'll never understand their commitment until you understand their past conditions. And sometimes our actions are decided by where we could have been or where we should have been or where we would have been. I wonder if there's one person in here that would say, if it wasn't for Jesus, 
right? If you understood where I would have been, if you understood where I should have been, if you understood where I could have been, you would know why I'm excited to be in the presence of God. Understand the alternative. This is what it's about. It's not about a church service. It's not about pastels. It's not about eggs. It's about the fact of where I would have been if it wasn't for Jesus. The Easter message is the good news of who he is, the Son of God. It's the good news of what he's done, died on a cross for our sins and resurrected from the grave. And it's the good news of what he brings. And what he brings is the great reversal. And this is where Luke 15 and the Easter message come back together. I've got to explain something to you that you might not know of to fully understand the power of this great reversal. So let's go to Luke chapter 15. We're going to read a couple of verses. Watch what it says. It says, but the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, put sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf. Let's kill it. Let's have a feast. And let's celebrate. I've read Luke 15 a lot of times in my life. I've preached it a few. And I always thought when I read Luke 15, I always thought the power of the parable was in the party. And what I've learned recently and why it's important for you to understand it on Easter Sunday is the power of the parable is in the party. But it's in the alternative party. See, what you might not have known is there's actually two parties in this story. One party that was supposed to happen, and it didn't. And one party that was never supposed to happen, and it did. And when you understand the story behind these parties, you start to understand the real message of Easter. In their culture, in Jewish culture in that day, it was pretty common for a young man to leave his family and go experience life with Gentiles. And there was this rule. Because most of the time when young men would do that, they would end up wasting their wild living, because wasting their money with wild living, that's kind of what we tend to do at young ages. And then they would often come back home. And so this was a common ritual for people. So they created a ceremony that was known in that culture. And when that son would go away and come back, the men of the community would come and meet that son at the gate of the community. And they would be holding a clay pot of burnt beans. That's what they would have in their hand. And it was a ceremony called the kazaza. And what they would do is they would take that pot and they would throw it on the ground and break it right in the feet of that, or right at the feet of that young man. And they would say to him, that pot represents our relationship. As that pot is broken, our relationship is broken. They called it the cutting off ceremony. There was another word for it. They called it the ceremony of shame. And this, was, this is just common culture for him. And the more I understood that, watch this. Then here was the, re the revelation I had, is that when this son decides that he's going to return home, he's expecting this ceremony. This is what he expects to happen. This is their culture. He expects that they're going to say, you can no longer belong here as a son. The only way that you can come back into this community is to get a job and come in as a servant or a slave. 
And here's how you know the son knew it. Because when he started considering going back, remember when he prepared his speech? He said, I'm no longer worthy to be your son. Let me be one of your hired servants. This son is completely aware of this ceremony of shame. And yet he decided to go home anyway. He was so desperate. He was in so much pain that he would have rather gone home and be made a fool of than to continue to try to do it on his own. And so when he makes this decision, this was mind-blowing to me, when he makes this decision and he starts heading home, the entire time he's going, y'all, the entire time he's he's moving towards home, he knows that what awaits him, that he'll get to the gate and the men of that community will come running and they'll meet him with this pot of burnt beans and they'll throw it at his feet. And they'll say, this relationship is broken. And you don't belong here anymore. And you're no longer a son, you're a servant. And when I understood that, it made another part of the story change for me. I've always read that when the father saw him, the father took off running. And I just assumed it was more emotional. Like if you've ever had somebody who was out of town for a while and they flew back in town and you're at the airport and you see them and you like run to embrace them because there's more of this emotional, like I missed you. And that's what I, that's what I always thought it was, that the father was representing how much he missed him and he's running to him. And then all of a sudden it hit me. When the father saw him coming, the father said, if I don't get to him before they get to him, they're going to come with that ceremony of shame and they're going to break that pot at his feet and they're going to tell him that the relationship is broken and he's going to hear that he can only enter in as a servant or a slave but not a son. And so I got to get to him first. And so the father took off running so that he could beat the other people to his son so that he could let them know you're not going to enter in here as a slave. You're going to enter in as my son. That was the message of Easter. That's the great reversal. That for every one of us, we assume that because we've messed up, we can only enter as a slave. But the death of Christ and the resurrection meant there was this great reversal. When the Bible says that he ran... Jewish culture, men would wear these tunics. They, they were dresses, basically. And so for them to actually be able to run, they would have had to pick up the tunic to be able, you know, <laughs> to be able to run through. Yeah. <laughs> Let that sit in your head for a moment. But what would it have done is it would have revealed his legs in public. And it was a rule in their culture that men did not reveal their bare legs in public. And if they ever did, they would bring shame upon themselves. So when the father takes off running to the son, what he's doing is taking all of the shame and putting it on himself so that his son doesn't have to take it. This is the message of the gospel. This is why we celebrate. Because Jesus Christ, God in the form of Christ, gets on the cross and dies. Watch what Hebrews 12, 2 says. He's fixing to take on the shame, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the what? 
The cross, scorning its what? Shame. The cross was the father taking the shame so that when his daughter and his son decided to come back home, we weren't met with the ceremony of shame. We were met with the ceremony of relationship, sonship, daughtership. What culture wants us to think is that when we don't do it right, when we mess up, which is an inevitable, when we finally decide that we've had enough and there's too much pain and there's too much desperation and we can no longer do it, and we think in the back of our mind, well, I can't do anything else but go back to God. Culture wants us to think that, look, when we return, that the way we're going to be met is with a symbolization that says this relationship is broken, that says to us you can enter, but you're coming in as a slave or a servant. And I think Jesus told this story for you and for me so that we would understand that when we mess up, it's not about our performance. It's about his. And when we finally make the decision to return home, when we get home, we will not be met with the ceremony of shame. We're met with the ceremony of sonship. We're celebrated. I was talking about this in first service, and this thought came to my mind. Any of y'all ever seen the movie Run uh, or seen the movie Hook? Y'all seen the movie Hook? Remember that? Just me? Got three people? We're going to have a movie night in a couple weeks because we're not enough people seeing Hook. But in, for those of you that haven't because you you're not cultural enough, let me help you. What happens is Hook ends up taking Peter Pan's son, tells him all these bad things about his dad. And they're playing this baseball game. And there's this moment where Hook wants everybody to chant, home run Jack, home run Jack. And his little idiot helpers get it backwards. And they start chanting, run home Jack, run home Jack, run home Jack. And in that moment, he starts to have this kind of mental shift, this perspective change. And he starts to remember just how good his father is. And he starts actually thinking about running home. And in, and in the last service, all of a sudden it hit me. The whole reason he was there is because the enemy was trying to change the way he thought about his father. And our culture wants to change the way we think about our father so that we won't return home. But the more that we're in his presence and the more that we read his word and the more we're around the cross, the more we start to realize exactly how our father feels about us. And it's always more engaging to run home come home now's the time whatever we've been taught is wrong if we think that if we return home we're going to be met with the ceremony of shame it's wrong the gospel the Easter message the resurrection is all to solidify the fact that he got on the cross he took on the shame so that no matter where we are in life when we return home we're welcomed home as sons and daughters of the king now when Jesus tells these parables he tells three parables the first one is about I don't remember the exact order but one's about a lost sheep and one's about a lost coin 
And in those two parables, the person that lost the sheep goes after it. The person who lost the coin searches for it until it's found. Now that's the symbolization we get of the Holy Spirit in this prodigal of the parable son, or the parable of the prodigal son, is that Jesus is chasing us so much that he would bring you in here today to hear this story, to be able to change your perspective of your father so that you can not only return home, but be excited about returning home, to be able to come into the presence of a father who loves you and to be excited about it. But there's one difference in the parable of the prodigal son and the other two parables. Only one of them is dealing with an actual person who can make their own decisions. So the coin is just left up to the woman searching for it. And the sheep is just left up to the shepherd searching for it. But the prodigal son has a choice. He knows the father wants him. He knows the father's searching. He knows the father's looking. But it's whether or not he chooses to return. And that's what I want today to be about. That decision. That we're willing to return to the father. To return home. And understand that it's not about what we've done. But what he's did. To be able to come home to the grace the mercy that we've been preaching about over the past five weeks and know that it's real because he resurrected from the grave. Amen? Do me a favor, stand with me just a moment. So why the celebration? Why the party? Why all the excitement? Why all the activity? Because the second that Jesus came out of that grave, everything he said was real. Every moment that he said, hey, it's not about you. It's about me. Every moment that he said, you're forgiven. Every moment where he said, it's grace. It's not your performance. Every moment where he said, I loved you and died for you while you were yet sinners. When he said you'd be reconciled to God, when he said you'd be healed, when he said you'd be set free, for he who sets you free, you'll be free indeed if the Son sets you free. Everything he said became real the moment he got out of that grave. And I think the enemy likes to tempt us, lie to us, and confuse us so that we'll stay away and not be able to experience it. But today, we're here. And what an opportunity and what a moment to say, you know what? I'm coming back home. I'm coming home. I'm coming home to the Father. I don't know how I'm going to be received. It's been a while since I've been here and I was doing this and I was doing that. I'm not sure how. Let me, let me like the sun, let me prepare my speech for God. The father says, be quiet, put that away. Puts his arm around you. Get him a robe. Get him a ring. Let's get some sandals. Get that calf in here. Come on, let's celebrate. What are we celebrating? We're celebrating that my child was once dead and is now alive. We're celebrating that my child was once lost but is now found. 
Were they found by their performance? Did they come alive based off their efforts? No. They were made alive. And they were found by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen? Father, I pray right now for every person in this room. I just pray that you would really solidify that message in our hearts. That when we make the decision to return to you, when we come and repent, Father, we're not met with judgment, chastising. We're met with open arms. We don't return to a ceremony of shame, but a ceremony of relationship. And when Jesus told that parable, he was talking to both the lost and the religious. And in a room like this, Father, we have so many different people that are in different kind of places of life and I just pray that your message would be so real for, the, for those that have been trying to follow you God on their own efforts on their own works they've been trying to carry the weight of their performance their perfection I pray right now that you would just soften their heart to help them realize that you can take that weight off of them For the person that chose to walk away from you, to quit following you, the one who's been worried about what they're going to return to, I pray that you would speak to their heart right now and help them realize that they're not coming back to a ceremony of shame. They're not coming back to a broken pot. They're coming back to a ring and a robe and sandals and a fattened calf and a father who's missed them and a father who's loved them and a father who has a focus and a passion and a future for them. Hallelujah. Come on, just a moment. Just take it in for a second. Let this be your moment to respond. For the lost, you found your Savior. For the wanderer, come on home. Come home. Been told don't come. The Father says come home. Come home. But I don't know what I'm going to get when I get there. You know what you're going to get when you get there. It was never about you. It was always about him. Father, your Holy Spirit do what only he can do. You know every person. You know every situation. You know their struggles. You know their difficulties. You know their hesitations. Allow your grace and your mercy right now to flood in this place. We're going to sing a song. That's going to be your opportunity to respond. If you've never given your heart to Jesus, make today your day to do that. The Bible says you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, you'll be saved. You once were following Jesus, but for whatever reason you kind of fell off, 
let today be the day you come back home. Maybe you've been coming to church, but what you were taught was more of a religious mindset. And so like the older brother, following God has been exhausting for you. Be set free today. That it's not your performance or your perfection, but it's the Father's. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.